For those who are able, before Brent brings us uh, the Word of God in preaching, can you please stand and rise in respect and honor for the Word of God? We read this morning from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make a place of it, a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. <clears throat> As always, it's, it's good to hear you singing. It's good to hear stories of God's faithfulness uh, in our congregation and what he's doing in your lives. Um, my name is Brent Stutzman. I forgot to introduce myself. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. And some of you might know that a few weeks ago, uh, myself and Dustin Huckstep, who oversees the music and the youth down in Palos, took five of our high school boys, or students, down to Florida. And one of the things we did in that 15-hour drive down there and back was we kind of played this game where we asked students to take out their phones, cue it up with one of their favorite songs, and asked us the who, what, when, and why they chose that song. And I was blown away by their song catalog, classic rock songs I've never even heard of. We, heard, we listened to great jazz, not like Kenny G jazz, but like good jazz with with, uh, with like Miles Davis and John Coltrane and Brad Mildow and we listened to some classical. We even did like this Disney, like name that Disney song type thing. It was great. And inevitably one of the type of songs that would show up is a traveling song. And some of you know these modern traveling songs, uh, Bob Dylan's Walking Down the Line or um, uh, Led Zeppelin's Rambling On, Willie Nelson's On the Road Again, uh, James Taylor, My Traveling Song, Johnny Cash, Sing a Traveling Song. Uh, or how about Simon and Garfunkel's Homeward Bound? Or if you're into maybe a new modern Simon and Garfunkel sound, I recommend the Milk Carton Kids and their song New York. It's really good. But what's common in these traveling songs is that uh, they typically deal with heartache, rejection, isolation, and they have to leave. They're on the road. They're going somewhere. They don't always know where they're going, but they're looking for something or someone to complete them. But that person or something is always a bit elusive. But we have a traveling song here in Psalm 84, and what's different about this traveling song is the author, the psalmist, knows exactly where he's going. He's going to Zion. He's going to Jerusalem to experience the presence of the living God. 
Another thing with a modern traveling song uh, that you might hear about is uh, there's an aspect of love. And it's usually they're leaving their lover or they're leaving their love behind to kind of figure out something else. But they got to go home maybe, but home is always elusive as well. But here we have in Psalm 84, it's not just a traveling song, it's a love song. And it's a deep and passionate love song. And I have to be honest, like this has been one of the most humiliating sermons to prepare to preach because I myself have a really hard time entering into this love song because the words and the emotions are so deep and so secure. It's almost gushy. It's almost gushy the way he talks about his love for the Lord and the presence of the Lord. And so I walked away um, trying to think about how we can explore this song together. One for myself. So this is almost like a meditation of my own heart. I was like, how can I honestly sing this song? Like, how can I honestly say a better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere? How can I sing my heart and flesh cry out to the living God? Like, I'm all consumed. So how can, I, how can we enter into this song? But I also have the question, how can this psalmist even write this? Like, what was going on in the psalmist's heart, and what does he know about God and about himself that he can actually pen these words? Um, so, let's pray before we jump into this then. Lord, you know, you know our hearts. You know where we come from this morning, broken people or joyful people. And we need to hear from your word. We need to hear of your love for us. Uh, we need you to speak into our own lives and we're in our own traveling songs that we're singing and bringing with us this morning. So we ask that you attend the preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, before I go for, uh, further, I wanted us to play a quick game together and I'm calling it the finish the quote game. It's just one quote. So this means I'm going to start with the beginning of a quote and I need you to verbally, as a congregation, respond to, what, to finish that quote. Okay, so don't be afraid to speak out loud. All right, so here's the quote. How do I love thee? Oh, that's amazing. All right, so similar to how Elizabeth Browning's 19th century love sonnet, which you just quoted, which is amazing, uh, she kind of sets the trajectory of that sonnet. So too is our psalmist in our first two verses here sets the trajectory of his love song. And so that if you follow along, I'm going to outline it like this. We have the intro in verses 1 and 2. And then we have love's jealousy in verses 3 and 4. Love's jealousy in verses 3 and 4. Love's provision in verses 5 and 8 through 8. And then love's desire in verses 10 through 12. So verses 1 and 2 read, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The English translation doesn't exactly provide the emotional punch that this, the Hebrew provides. A better way to read this is really, I'm in love with your house, O Lord. And the psalmist is totally taken up by it. But it's not really the dwelling place that he's in love with. He's in love with, with the one who dwells there. It's not the building, but who's in the building that the psalmist is so taken up by. It's sort of like when you're, if, when I was growing up as a kid, we loved going to grandma and grandpa's house. We didn't love going to grandma and grandpa's house because of the architecture of the house, right? We loved going to grandma and grandpa's house because he was there. Grandma and grandpa, we were gonna get pancakes in the morning, cinnamon rolls for dessert, 
We're going to get treats, lots of hugs, lots of singing. Like we loved going there because the presence of my grandparents were there. And so too is the psalmist as he describes God's presence here in verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The psalmist is desperate to be here, be at, uh, to be at the temple of the Lord. It's like, let's imagine if this has happened to you. You go to, a, you go to summer camp, you're there for a week, and you, and you start to like this girl or guy. And before you know it, you're doing skits with this person, you're eating dinner with this person, you're just spending so much time, and you fall in love with this person. Right? That's all you can think about. But can't, you, know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, yeah? So at the end of the, <laughs> so at the, end of the week, at the end of the week, you got to go home. And this person lives in Portland. <laughs> and so, you know, the rest, the rest of the year, until you get to summer camp again, you're figuring out, how do I get to Portland? Like, this is all you can think about. Well, the psalmist here is really just consumed with that, right? The courts of the Lord is where he wants to be. His heart and his flesh come together with one mission. Get to Jerusalem and experience the presence of the living God. And before we get into our uh, first point here of love's jealousy, I was going to ask, have you ever met a jealous lover? Or come in, maybe you were one at one time. Maybe you are one now, but like a jealous lover. Uh, they're just desperate to be with this one person 24-7. But there's someone else in this relationship that's kind of like moving in on their space. A little, like they have a little more access to this person, so they just get consumed with that and get frustrated, Right? The psalmist here in his first illustration is, is a jealous lover, and he's jealous of the birds. He's jealous of the sparrow who can make his home in the temple of the Lord 24-7, as we see in verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God, my King. Only a person who's consumed with love for the Lord in his presence, could look up, see the birds, and be jealous of them. He's not only jealous because they can be there all the time because they make their homes, but they can actually raise their family in the temple of the Lord. So what this incredible gift he's showing is that how amazing is it that you can not only make your dwelling place in the dwelling place of the Lord, but you could also raise your family there. And we see this in verse 4. His response is, Blessed are all those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Some of you know that Susan and I are in the transition of selling our condo and pray that it goes through uh, next Thursday. Uh, we're selling our condo. We're moving to Hensdale. We've rented a nice little cute little brick house just a few blocks away and we cannot wait to get there. Now I just told you a short story in three sentences and this is when Susan starts to say like Brent you are an oversharer at this point. Uh, uh, the extended edition director's cut with all the deleted scenes would include moments of crying, anxiety, moments of tears, sweat, sleepless nights, restless babies, my sweet wife's seventh, you know, seven-month pregnancy in the midst of all this, uh, canceling, four canceled real estate contracts, and the list goes on. But in the midst of all that, we also see in the extended edition is you guys, you all loving us, carrying us along in prayer, countless hours of babysitting our girls, having us over for dinner, 
helping us look at potential houses to buy, helping us move everything into our pods, giving us advice on repairs, house repairs, should we even buy this house, organizing real estate contracts, uh, we're living in your homes, and really just cheering us on and loving us. That's kind of been our traveling song these last couple weeks. And in the midst of these real trials and stress, God has been using you to care for us, and that's God's provision for us. And as we look at our second point here, love's provision, we see that the psalmists are experiencing similar provisions on their journey to Jerusalem. So here's point number two. I like for, I'll read uh, verses five through seven again. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of string, springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The journey to Jerusalem wasn't always a safe one. Sometimes it was a dangerous road. In the wilderness, you have the blistering sun during the day and frigid temperatures at night. Thieves could be hanging out around corners. There could be water issues like water supplies. But the psalmist really isn't concerned with that danger. Instead, he highlights his love for God and God's loving provision for them along the way. Now, we don't know much about the Valley of Baca, but it's translated Valley, Valley of Tears. And it doesn't take much imagination to what that might look like. I mean, have, has anyone driven through the badlands of South Dakota? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a reason why they're named that way. I mean, it's very little vegetation, steep cliffs. There's just desolate. I remember driving through it a few years ago and thinking, like, how in the world did the early settlers make it? Well, they really didn't. I mean, they died in that, in the Badlands. That's why they, they're called the Badlands. It's a death trap to those who don't know where they're going. And this so too could be with the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Tears. But God's love is always with the psalmist whose strength is in him. And we see that instead of Valley of Tears, we see springs of water for their journey. The Lord fills up pools of fresh water for their hot days of travel. Uh, in the midst of... Um, moving last week and all the anxiety and stress that we were dealing with. There was a moment when I was in the car with the girls feeling the anxiety. Might you like your, how your body tenses up when you're all stressed out and you're probably going to have a panic attack or something like that. I mean, it's like, it's really intense. And then my girls started singing in the back, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And it was like in that moment where my anxious heart just like dissolved in the thankfulness for God's provision. Like it was this amazing moment. I want to share with you that if you're experiencing on your traveling journey like the never-ending road of parenting <laughs> and all its twists and turns, or if you're, you know, you're on this traveling journey at work and it's really difficult or you're having a hard time learning to love, uh, love a dear one or a loved one in your house, let me just encourage you in the midst of that to delight in the presence of the Lord because in that you find the Lord's strength for, this, for the journey. And that's what I found. And so too is the psalmist when he's going through the valley of tears, when he writes in verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. So we enter into the final illustration here of the psalmist counting the ways he longs and faints for, to be near the Lord in verse 10. <clears throat> for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. It's like, wow, well, to state the obvious, the psalmist loves to be in the presence of the Lord. 
And the temple was constructed in such a way that for various reasons, only the, the priests could be inside the temple, the Levitical priests. And everyone else had to hang on the courts on the outside. But we get a, bit of, a better picture of what the psalmist is getting at when he brings up the tents of the wicked, or the tents of wickedness. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And it's unclear what a doorkeeper is actually doing here. It's translated um, to stand at the threshold. So it may not be a particular job that he had. It could just be he's hanging out in the further reaches of the temple courts. Uh, the best thing I can liken it to is that you're going to a U2, U2 concert at Soldier Field and you're, you're in the nosebleed section. You know, you're not at the middle of the concert, but you're still you know, experiencing the glory of a U2 concert. You're just on the outer fringes. But you're just happy that you're there. I mean, I don't know, I've never been to a U2 concert, but I've seen videos, and they're pretty epic. Um, so, so as we just kind of briefly look at that and, and the psalmist's love, let's, let's go back to that question, uh, the two questions that I mentioned at the beginning, and try to answer a couple of them. Uh, the first one is, how can the psalmist's love be all-consuming? Uh, as I was reflecting on this, I, I was just kind of blown away. It's like, how can, how can he honestly sing this and not be a hypocrite? <laughs> in this. Uh, so after mulling it in my mind a little bit, you know, this is fundamentally a love song. And this love is so deep. And in order for love to be this deep, it has to be reciprocated in some way. Otherwise, the lover moves on, right? Like, um, if it's not reciprocated, the love isn't reciprocated, the, the relationship falls apart. Like, we would never sing this about someone who abused us or or um, betrayed our love, right? So this love has a deep history of trust and intimacy. Another way to think of it is like this love is a very mature love. And it makes sense because in verse 11, he calls God a son and a shield. God is a son because he's the source of all life. And he's a shield because he's the protector of all life. So this God who's the source of all life is also a mighty warrior who protects him protects everyone from harm. So therefore, I think one reason why the psalmist's love is so deep and mature, and he loves to be in God's presence, because he feels completely safe there. God will never spurn him or turn him away. No enemy can touch him when he's in the presence of the Lord. Remember that beautiful picture in Psalm 23? As the Lord presents, he, he presents a meal. He gives, us, gives me a meal in, in front of my enemies. When the presence of the Lord, no enemy can touch him. Um, it's sort of like, uh, you know, when the psalmist feels so safe and secure in love in the presence of the Lord, I think of, of you know, if you, if you have a kid or if you remember being a kid and you, and you leave your parents, like they, be, you know, they stray off somewhere and they get scared and startled and, and they start looking for you and they're crying. And, but then they see their parents, they yell at mommy and daddy and they just run and just grab onto your leg and hold on. I think that's kind of what the psalmist is doing here. Like, he just wants to be in the presence of his Father and his God so much, and he feels secure. He just holds on. He feels safe there. So I, for, for the psalmist, the presence of the Lord feels like home. It's a type of dwelling place that deep in his bones he longs to be in. It's the place of wholeness and security and acceptance and love uh, that the modern traveling song is always singing about and always looking for. So I think this is why the psalmist's love is all-consuming. Now the second question I want to explore is, uh, how can I honestly pray these words? This is something I was carrying with me. 
Because honestly, um, how do I pray this and not be a hypocrite? And if I'm vulnerable with you all, uh, typically the song that's on my Spotify playlist is like better as one day in my own courts when everyone's listening to me and doing what I say than a thousand elsewhere. Like that's like on repeat. <laughs> you know, that song is constantly going on, right? So if that's kind of the continual song in my heart, how can I actually enter into this song and not be a hypocrite? And I think the only way that I could do this and that we could do this together is that if we truly live out and believe that God loves us and he accepts us, that he truly loves us and he delights in us and he wants to be in our presence and for us to dwell with him. I think for the psalmist, um, this is why he could pen these words because he believes that God's default attitude towards him is love. Right? It's not hatred or frustration. So when God sees the psalmist and his walking uprightly, uprightly God, can't, can't, God can't help giving him blessing after blessing. He longs to give the psalmist blessing after blessing. The psalm, that's why the psalmist writes in verses 11 and 12. The Lord bestows honor and favor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then that truth just explodes when we get to the New Testament. Just absolutely explodes. Because we read in Romans 8.32 that God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how can he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave up what was most precious to him so that we might be able to dwell with him and be in his presence and that he might be able to dwell with us. Now, why does this matter? Well, if you're new here, you've never been to church or you're exploring Christianity, uh, Christians believe that when God created everything, he created human beings to be in relationship with himself. And central to that relationship was God's unhindered presence with us. That's why we see Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden, the Garden of Eden. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, we were exiled from God's presence. And the temple in which the psalmist is singing about here was the, beginning of, uh, was the beginning of God's way of restoring his presence to humanity. But God's presence at that time was limited to Jerusalem. So if you wanted to experience God's presence, you had to pack up your bags and travel. You had to go to, you had to, go to Jerusalem. That's why we have these, all these great traveling psalms. But God, however, he desired to be with his people more intimately. So when we look to Jesus, God's son, when he came down to earth, they called him Emmanuel, God with us. And many of us know the stories in the Gospels of how people and the crowds were all coming to Jesus to experience his presence because in his presence they're being healed. They're being transformed. And while Jesus was on, his, on this earth, he told the authorities, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And what Jesus was saying is that the way God relates to us in his presence, it's changing. It's no longer going to be confined to a temple. And shortly after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God sends his Holy Spirit to the church. And the Apostle Peter writes that the church is living stones, constituting a new temple. So now the temple is the church. And the primary way that we experience God's presence is through the church. And the Bible says this new relationship, the church is described as the bride of Christ. 
We are the bride of Christ. As I mentioned before, we went down to this uh, summer camp, and the, the main speaker uh, there is from a pastor from South Carolina, and it was a tremendous uh, series on the church that he was teaching us and our students. And he says, he quoted his friend, he says, you know how God looks at you? Do you know how God looks at you? With honeymoon affections. With honeymoon affections. God's desire is to be with us, and he's completely consumed by it. Like the psalmist, he too is torn apart within until he consummates his love with the bride. As Revelation, as we said at the beginning of the service in the call to worship, Revelation 21 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege to preside over a wedding as a pastor. Now, many of you know I'm a musician, so it was like one of those things like always a musician, never a pastor or never a groomsman, right? I was like, I'm always, we played for dozens of weddings, dozens of weddings. But I got to be a pastor finally and preside over the wedding, and it was by far the best seat in the house. It was amazing to see the bride coming around. It was like this clear view coming around all dressed in white, and I got to watch the groom get all teared up because he was just so excited to marry his bride, and the joy and the love that he had was just so evident. He just could not wait to marry her. And so too is Jesus with us. He sees us with honeymoon affections. He just cannot wait. And so now I think, if I really believe that, I can now enter into this psalm. I can enter into this psalm more. And if my heart really believes that God actually does love me, these words make a whole lot more sense. And I hope they do for you as well. Because church, we are, we are the apple of God's eye. He gave us his one and only son so that we might be able to be his, to become his, and to dwell with him. And so primarily, this song isn't just a love letter to God. I think it's really the embodiment of God's love for us. Jesus is singing this song over us right now. So now we can enjoin and sing these songs and not be hypocrites, but enter into them. And as the, the first two verses say, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Amen. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer uh, and then a time of confession. Because that's one way that we reorient our hearts and our love towards God is through confessing that we haven't loved our God as we ought to. So let's just take a moment uh, now to pray, and I'll lead us in confession. Lord, we confess, and if we're honest with ourselves, that we have a hard time loving you with this type of intensity and devotion and clarity. Either out of fear or unbelief, we have a hard time loving you to the point where our flesh and our heart continually cry out to you. And if we're honest in this moment and vulnerable, we would say that uh, the one person that we love more than else is ourselves. The songs that we sing tend to be ones all about ourselves and, our, and our own happiness instead of your glory and your goodness. Forgive us, we pray.
Amen. Church, hear the good news of the gospel. Lift up your heads and see and hear from Revelations 5. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Stand and sing. <laughs> 